Welcome to another episode of your Wild and Exposed podcast. Before we begin today's show, we have an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Precision Camera in Austin, Texas, the largest camera store between New York and L.A. Precision Camera is offering Wild and Exposed listeners a free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images with free shipping as well within the United States. To get this, go to our website at wildandexposed.com. On our homepage, go to the menu at the top right and go to our sponsors page. There, you'll find a quick link to Precision Camera. And once you're on their page, go to the option for a virtual consultation with one of their friendly and knowledgeable staff. They'll be more than happy to discuss and answer any questions that you might have for gear that you're interested in. At the conclusion of your visit, they'll give you a coupon code that will give you access to order this free 16 by 24 fine art print of one of your images. By supporting Precision Camera, you're also supporting your favorite podcast, Wild and Exposed. Now, on with today's show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed podcast. Uh, myself, Ron Hayes in Wyoming. We've got Jason Loftus in Utah and our guest this evening is Lydia Ripplinger. Uh, Lydia is a Utah photographer, and she also runs a large photography hub on Instagram. So we're going to let her share a little bit about the inside insider information on how to run a hub, number one. Number two, how it was built, and, and just kind of how she goes about her daily business on her page. So welcome, Lydia. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. So you are out of where in Utah? So I live in Provo, <clears throat> which is Utah County area. I do, um, I, I travel all over though, especially all over the state, but I travel as much as I can to go and find wildlife and birds and other fun things. So pretty much all over Utah. And you and you and Jason have known each other for a while correct? Yeah. How did you guys meet? Yep. I think we met because of Instagram, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think was we it? actually met, um, chasing, chasing birds around and stuff. And Lydia, if anybody follows Lydia, her, her Instagram page is Lydebug and L Y D E B U G. Um, and if you followed her on there for a while, a lot of you probably recognize her work. She is an owl fanatic. And my, and that's not even, that's not, ex- that's not a stretch, is it? I mean, I'm, that's, that's just barely <laughs> the surface <laughs> <laughs> i love it and i i'm not even kidding i think this, this gal she is out there all the time if she has a free minute she is out trying to photograph some amazing bird somewhere <laughs> so yeah she she was kind enough to help me out with some stuff and i even had a first encounter a first experience because of because of lydia so oh. I, I mean, I, yeah well and you know what it is <laughs> i think i remember that one <laughs> we've had some good times it's we're lucky here in utah i think we have a good amount of 
well, birds in general, but especially raptors and owls. So we get to see a good variety of species and a good number of owls. And it's definitely, I'm glad that I live here because <laughs> that is my passion for sure. <laughs> so we probably so have, that, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, we probably have a little bit of carryover here. Uh, long ears, great horns, of course, short ears over the winter. Yep. And then pygmy owls on the west side of the state, primarily. We have some screech owls here. Uh -huh. What am I missing? Oh, boreal. Uh, we've got boreal owls. And then... Um, That's what I still need. I don't have any of those yet. Oh, really? We used yeah, to go do surveys for them, but it was always at night, and we were just doing by sound. We would just sit and listen when I worked for the Game and Fish. And, you know, it wasn't super common, but you'd find them on occasion. And then oh, the occasional fantastic. snowy, but that's very rare as well. But owls oh, are awesome. intriguing. So what is it about owls that you like so much? That's or, a good question. Or how did you get started chasing owls? I guess I should say that. Yeah. So I started, I got started in photography in general um, because of trail running. I do a lot of trail running. And so I'd be out and I'd see critters, I'd see birds, and I wanted to know what I was looking at. And I was excited about it. And, you know, you take a picture through your cell phone and then can't tell what the heck you saw. And so you have to, okay, then I need a better camera and then I need a better picture. So it means I need a better camera and it just snowballed. And, uh, Owls just caught my attention. They're just really cool. I mean, I, I don't. I'm not. Um, I'm not necessarily like a, a crystal loving hippie that that believes that they're uh, have magical powers or anything. I just really like that they kill stuff. <laughs> I like all the birds that go and kill stuff. I love the raptors and the owls. Like, I just think it's really cool. Just raw nature, watching it, seeing it. And it's if you really are a crystal loving hippie, we still. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that you follow and listen along with Wild and Exposed. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I just love owls for the the nature of them. I don't know. They're just cool birds. Nice. Lydia's got some pretty fun videos on her page just where she puts. <laughs> so one thing I'm just going to, I just got to say something real quick. One thing I love about Lydia's page and it drew me to it immediately when I saw it was, she is always really lighthearted and tries to have fun and just be funny about everything she posts. And if you read her posts, every one of them is some really cool little thought-out caption that's funny and it relates to the, cool. the bird, the situation. I mean, it's great. It really is. I love it. I mean, it's a great – every day I see a post, it brings a smile to my face. So, yeah, I keep doing that. I think it's awesome. But. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. I do uh... – I do try to make it light. I think in in wildlife photography, anyone who does wildlife photography knows that it can get heavy and people can get competitive and there can be drama. And I think that's unfortunate. <laughs> I'd yeah. much rather just get out there and enjoy myself, enjoy the people I'm with, enjoy the animals and make fun posts about them and just, just love nature and enjoy it. So yeah, I do try to be a little bit lighthearted. I know it's not for everyone, but I like it. I like yeah. to laugh, so. Well, I'd say roughly 60,000 people seem to like it, so. <laughs> I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's the best way to go. There's yeah. too much seriousness, too much heavy in life, not to enjoy it when you're outdoors supposedly having fun. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I even teased her a few times, but I'm going to start hiring her to write my posts for me because I just love it so much. <laughs> I'll take it anytime you want. <laughs> so, Lydia, what that's literally when you started photography was when you were trail running or after you started trail running? Yeah, due to the trail running, I think it's been, I think it's probably been about five years that I've been photographing seriously. I mean, semi-seriously, my first little camera was a a Sony a6000, you know, with the kit lens. So it it grew from there, but that was about five years ago. Then I was just drawn to the birds from that. and, And Instagram has been an incredible tool for me. Instagram has allowed me to network with other people. Um, mm-hmm. It's allowed me to meet people like Jason and um, to be inspired by them and to see what they're doing and make me push harder and try for more. And it's it's been incredible. I know it's just a silly social media platform, but boy, has it done amazing things for my photography, my bird addiction. <laughs> it's been great. So let's jump into that then since... You know, I think that's a good place to hop into the to your hub page as well. So how did you get started with that? The best birds of IG? Yes, yeah, the hub is best birds of IG. So it's not a hub that I started. There was another lady who started the hub and began work on it. Um, she was doing it in a very intense sort of way. She had lists when she she I inherited it from her. And when she gave me the hub, she had spreadsheets, she had Google documents, she had passwords, she was doing rotations of who had been featured when and different shout outs and hashtags. And, and that's, she burnt out. She got just so sick of it. She couldn't handle it all. She was like, I just can't do this anymore. And, and it's actually kind of a funny story where I didn't think I wanted a hub. I thought my own page was enough, but she made a post and said, does anybody want to take this hub? I, I want to retire from my hub. And it had it had a good number of followers at that point, maybe 60, 70,000, something like that. Um, and my buddy, Josh, uh, contacted me and said, you've got to take that hub. And I said, no way am I doing that by myself. I don't want that work. And he said, okay, I'll do it with you. We'll both will inherit the hub together. So we messaged her and she said that she was happy that we'd take it because she trusted us as photographers. And I'll give you one guess as to how many posts Josh has made on that hub. (laughs) I'm going to say zero. (laughs) Zero is right. (laughs) So he just, in fact, he doesn't even do Instagram at all anymore. So he just bailed. So I just started running the hub and uh, I found some moderators to help out. Um, I've networked with people who'd be interested. There was somebody, it's kind of funny how some of them came. Some of them came um, through people I knew. Um, my friend, for example, my friend Dan Lindhart helps out mm-hmm. and he he does a post every week for me and, and other people. One of them was someone who messaged me an angry message and said, why are you featuring all the same people all the time on your hub? And I said, welcome to the hub. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and I joined him in as a moderator. So I have have a few moderators on there and uh, um, we we take turns. We just have a schedule. And, you know, I do about three posts a week and the others do one or two. I think we might have one other person doing three a week. We just post morning and evening. We have our caption set so that it's really easy. Just copy paste. Um, We use the hashtag to try and find people who uh, are giving us permission 
to feature their photos on our page. And uh, um, it's just grown. It's grown very quickly and very easily. I have a good bunch of people that work on the hub and, and I appreciate that they do it completely free. They don't mm -hmm. have to do that for me, you know, but they're willing. And I think it's beneficial for them because we do put in our caption the name of the, the person who featured the photo. We put the name of the photographer, front and center, of course. And then the name of the moderator gets to be in the caption as well. So they get to have their name out there more on a big hub. And they get to put that in their bio on their Instagram and say that they're part of a, a big organization. And so I think it's helpful for them as well. And it's been really great. Um, it's really fun. And I've been able to, I'm, I'm picky. I'm not wound up um, in the sense that the previous owner of the hub was as far as uh, dates and schedules and lists. I just look at the photos that I like, whatever strikes my fancy, whatever I think is best, I'm going to feature it. Um, I try not to do the same people repeatedly try to give it some variety. But if I featured someone last month and he has a spectacular photo this month, I'm going to feature it again. <laughs> I want to have the best work on the hub that I can. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I do try to be a lot more relaxed about it in that way. And I think that's the reason why I've been able to have some really good moderators who have stuck with me because I know that some of the other hubs are more stringent in rules and restrictions. And I think the freedom for the moderators makes it an easy job for them too. I think yeah. they appreciate that. Mm. So it's kind well, of so, fun. So you said it had about 60,000 or so when you, when you started it. Yeah. And how long, how long have you been doing it now? That's a good question. Maybe two, two and a half years. Okay. Exactly. So I'm that's so just, I'm just speaking to the growth. That's incredible growth. I mean, it's yeah. a, they're out 250,000 now. So that's yeah. just, and that's amazing. Yeah, it has grown very quickly. I think one thing, honestly, that has helped in the growth, um, a lot of hubs, when they start to get bigger, they sell out. Mm -hmm. they'll get advertisements or they'll, um, you know, start, uh, I don't know. They just, they sell out in one way or another and people get frustrated and drop the hub because they don't need that in their feed. They just want to see the best birds of Instagram. They don't want to see bird necklaces or you know what I mean gotcha. yep. so I am pretty careful about that I'll do if I if there's a project that I feel is very important I'll be willing to feature for example somebody contacted me the other day that's doing a they're running a photo contest but it's a lot of the proceeds are going toward conservation it's kind of a conservation focused photo contest and he asked if we'd put a story on about that I'm willing to do something like that but otherwise, I keep it very restricted to simply featuring good photos, just good photography. Yeah. And that the moderator piece on your on your caption mm -hmm. is what I like because you're given not only credit to the photographer, but also the person that identified them. And that's a good networking piece as well. Because you yeah. you know who's noticing your images. And then, you know, you can reach out to those folks and, and give them a shout out, thank them for identifying your image and, and featuring it, putting it out on a platform with that many viewers. So I think that's, yeah. that's definitely a positive. It is. I think they, I think that's, that's why I'm sure the moderators are willing to help give yeah. them some return for all the work that they do. So I just realized we totally skipped the most important question of the night. <laughs> Yes, we did. 
So what is your favorite ever outdoor experience? Ron, that is so hard to pick just one. <laughs> but there is one that really stands out as an incredible outdoor experience. And that would be streaking through the African savanna <laughs> with one of my friends. <laughs> right. <laughs> that this is wild and exposed. <laughs> expect that <laughs> yeah yeah I, I have a a good friend her name's krista and she and i uh, i think it's been maybe close to three years ago now that we went to africa together and our tent our camp had sort of an outdoorish shower and we just loved that we loved the idea of just being out because you know i don't have you been to africa not yet oh it is just the most amazing place. I can't, it, it, you can't describe it. <laughs> it's like living in that geo video. It just really is. But um, so just outside of our tent there, we had zebras and elephants and lions. We had lions make a kill not far from our tent one night. It was just amazing. And just being out there, there's something about it where you're just, you know, taking a shower that felt really connected to nature. And we decided to just take it a step farther. And we just went streaking with the zebras. So <laughs> that's awesome. It was good and times. Like Jason said, I did not see that one coming. <laughs> I'd be happy to share some some of my favorite wildlife experiences as well. But. <laughs> well, let's let's hear one. <laughs> oh man! So as far as wildlife, there are a couple of experiences that stand out to me. Um, one of them would be the first time I saw a great gray owl. It was pretty, I was really new into photography and I got very lucky. My family has a cabin up in Idaho, in Driggs, Idaho. And someone had reported, there's a, there's a website called eBird where people can report bird sightings. Someone had reported a great gray owl and it was, it was kind of one of the owls that got me into owling that made me love owls. And I thought it was kind of a dreamless bucket kind bucket list kind of bird that I thought I'd never see. And I thought, well, I've got to go look at least. And and there it was, right where the marker was on eBird. And I, it just made me cry. You know, I was just like, this is not happening. Oh my goodness, you know, I, my photos from the experience are terrible <laughs> because I didn't have any idea what I was doing. But it was so meaningful to me just to to see and experience that bird and. And the other one that really stands out to me, this is this was a crazy experience, but I saw a cougar in a culvert under a road. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was a she was a really chill cat. So I got to sit there at the end of the culvert and you know, she she growls, she make her little rumble, and you just feel it through the soles of your feet. And it's just it's such an incredible experience. That's the only time I've ever seen a cougar. And so that one blew my mind. The photos also suck from that, but <laughs> the experience was amazing. Just absolutely amazing. So that's awesome, Lydia. You actually have a video of that on your on your Instagram page. And you just reposted it not too long ago, right? Yeah, I decided it was an experience that um, deserved a repost. I think I might post it like once a year or something. Just, just too cool just to be in that close of proximity with a cat. And she was, she was relaxed. She knew we were there, but
but she was actually most of the time I sat there with her, she was asleep. Of course, in the video, I, I posted the moment where she put her head up and, and growled at me, but <laughs> just to be there next to a, a wild cat like that was incredible for me. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It's rare. So you've got to relish it when it happens, right? Yeah, for sure. And you know, what's funny too, is you mentioned on how you thought you'd never get to see a great gray owl. And now if you go and look at your feed, <laughs> <laughs> it's littered with great grays and it's some amazing photos. Thank you. I had uh, the most incredible great gray winter that I've ever had in my life. This year? This past winter. So, yep. It was a neat year. I don't know. I, I haven't been, um, as you know, we don't have great gray owls here in Utah. So I haven't been able to see them that often. And so I don't know if this was an unusually productive year or if that's how it is every year. And I just got turned on to a couple good spots to go see them. Mm -hmm. I really don't know, but mm -hmm. it was absolutely amazing. And I hope, I hope that it happens again next year. So it was just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I know it was a good year in Yellowstone too. And I did, you know, the biology of, Great grays, I don't know. I don't know if they're cyclical, like snowy yeah, like snowies. snowies are cyclical for sure with with the mm -hmm. lemurs and and the prey base up in the north when they where they summer. Yes. But I don't know about great grays, but it certainly seemed to be a good year everywhere for, for great gray owls this year. And I know yeah. we have explosions of uh short ears down here too, so you won't see any for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden, you know, we went out one night to photograph the Aurora and just jumping up off the side of the road was just one after the other after another. So my son and I, we stayed up late to photograph the Aurora at night. And then we got up early and went out and caught short ears in the, you know, in the golden hour. It was awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. I but, think they do about the same thing here. Yeah. Last year. Saw quite a few year before that. I couldn't find one to save my life. So yeah, and I think up where Mark was or is, there were a lot of short ears this year. So hmm. yeah, I'm sure it's just wherever they prey base, wherever they summer. Yeah. But, well, and Lydia, weren't you weren't you telling us last year when we were out there doing the short ears that they that they literally could be like you you won't even see them in the same places. They just kind of roam and wander, and they don't even necessarily show up in the same places when they do show up. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. They are an, a very nomadic species. So the year that you and I saw them up there, they were very prolific. We saw quite a few, and then um, since then, they have not been at that spot. Last year, they were a completely different spot about two hours away, so... You never know when the, where they will pop up. Yeah, it's interesting. I know, I know. Uh, I've had some experiences with Lydia, <laughs> where I'm starting to. I think, and I know she would give a lot of credit to other folks, which you know, and I'm sure rightfully so. But as, as we talk a lot about, right, in this journey in wildlife photography, when we start to pay attention to these animals and photograph them, we want to learn more about them. And I think Lydia is the epitome of that with these owls. I mean, she digs in. She she you know. Um, uh, works with other people, learns from other people, listens to other people, and then she obviously puts all those things into practice and becomes the owl, the owl whisperer herself. So uh, thank you. I know I've heard stories of her where, you know, some photographers are standing around. I'm thinking of one specific that happened last year, and um, it was her and two other folks, and 
<laughs> uh, a matter of fact, I think it was Bill, Bill Allard. And okay, he, okay, he yeah. told me, he was telling me that Lydia said, Shh, you guys hear that? And Bill was like, uh, no, what are you talking? Can you hear the birds? The birds, do you hear them? They're all wound up. There's an owl around here somewhere. And so she she started looking, and sure enough, there's a great gray that she found because she was listening to the cues, you know, and the other things that were going on. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, I think with birds, uh, those uh, audio cues are so handy. I mean, if you're out to, sh to photograph a deer or an elk, I mean, you can listen for them, um, especially in the rutting season or whatever. But but with a bird, you've always got them, you know, playing Marco Polo with you, telling mm -hmm. telling you where you are, where they are. And and if you can learn to identify those calls and and learn a little bit about their habitat and their habits, um, you'll have a lot easier time finding the birds. I, I think that's probably as far as Instagram goes, I get I'm sure you guys do, too. I get a lot of questions. Um the biggest questions I get are, well, how did you edit that shot? People are interested in editing. But the other really, really big question I get is, how do you find so many owls? How do you see all these owls? And it really does come down to what you're saying, Jason, where you've got to learn their calls and figure out where they're going to be and what they're going to do and just pay attention to those things just intensely. I, it, it makes me a little bit ADD if I'm out with friends or people. I'm just looking at this sky oh I saw a shadow there was a bird or I, I heard something hold on stop talking you know but because of that you're able to see cool things today I for example today I was walking with a, a girlfriend of mine and she was telling me about a trip she had just been on she was so excited and I heard a little twirly sound and I said stop and we were able to watch a pair of kestrels mating just now right before this podcast oh, nice which we would not have noticed that if it weren't for the sound that they made so Paying attention to calls is so crucial in, in bird photography, especially. Yeah. Well, and being out, right? I mean, I, like I said earlier, I was kind of joking, but I'm, I mean, it's, it's legit. You are literally out as much <laughs> as possible every chance you get, right? Yeah, every day. Make some time to get out every day. It's true. Uh, that's another thing people say, well, how do you see all these things? There's no way that people who, who live next door to me say, well, I don't live in a place where there are that many owls. You're just lucky you live where you live. And I'm like, no, that's not true. You've got to go outside and look. They say, that's usually my answer. When people say, how do you see so many owls? I usually respond by saying, a ton of looking. <laughs> yeah. A ton of I'm out way too much. It's probably easier for me than for a lot of people because I'm single. So I just have to work every day and that's my only like real responsibility. But yeah, I am out all the time. <laughs> we have a pair that nests right downtown in the small town that I live in. Oh. And I was, they, they're kind of right in this V of a big cottonwood tree is where the nest is. It's kind of a cool nest. And I was in the back of my truck. I had the tripod stood up. I was standing up on the side of the back of the truck trying to get a little bit closer to eye level. Sure. And people in the neighborhood that live like right next to this tree came out and they're like, what are you looking at? <laughs> they <laughs> yes. had no idea. Because great horns especially, well, not, not just great horns, a lot of this owl species, they blend in so stinking well. And so you've got to learn what to look for. Yep, I I found a little screech owl the other day in somebody's tree 
in their front yard. And she came driving home and said, what are you looking at? Because I'm standing looking at her tree in her front yard. I said, you have an owl. And she didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. You just have to. That's that's a huge thing also. You have to know what you're looking for. Um, once you've seen the species, it's a lot easier to spot them afterward. Yeah, for sure. Or even once you've been out of the woods for a long time and then you see the first one, then all of a sudden your your eyes have to basically recalibrate. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> and when you when you get them calibrated, you can spot things all over the place, but it's just that little bit of time to just break the ice when you're out on a trip like that. Yeah, you've got to train yourself, train your eyes, train your ears. So you've not been photographing that long, relatively speaking. I mean, you, you and Jason have kind of traveled the same path there, you know, just made leaps and bounds and, and are at a point where you're, you know, you're just about world class as far as photographing these birds. How did that happen? Did you have, well, is just time or was it getting out with, with individuals that helped you along the way or how did that come about? I'd say two things. The first thing that's absolutely essential for me in my in my learning and progress is having a good mentor. I I had a it's actually my same friend Josh who bailed on the he bailed on the hub with me, but he taught me everything. He just kind of took me under his wing and showed me how to shoot, taught me about my camera settings, helped me find some locations, helped introduce me to other people, and uh, just his willingness to help me and mentor me was everything it just it just took me it taught the things that you have to learn um by hard experience he was able to just verbally say to me or just show me and that just accelerated my learning in such such a a a much faster pace than i would have just trying to learn on my own um and then the second thing that really has helped me to progress quickly is just the amount of hours in the field Mm -hmm. because you know somebody who's shot um, for 10 years and has gone out shooting three times a week is probably in the same place I am after shooting for five years and going out every day of the week. You know what I mm. mean? So it's the yeah. same amount of, I shouldn't say they're in the same place, but I mean, it's the same amount of accumulative hours with the sure. camera in hand and, and in the field looking. So just getting out and making mistakes and breaking everything, that's the key. And then having a good mentor, good friends, networking with people, You've got to keep your ego down. I feel mm-hmm. like there's some pretty big egos in wildlife photography. Uh, I mean, in, in any in any field, but in wildlife photography, there's some pretty big egos. And I think if you really want to learn, you've got to be a little bit humble and you've got to recognize you don't know quite everything, that somebody else knows more than you do. Um, because everybody knows something you don't know. Everybody. And you can learn something from every single person. I'm a, I'm a teacher for my profession, for my job. And so I see this time and time again. I have my students work together and they help and teach each other things in ways that I wouldn't have thought to. And it's exactly the same thing with photography. And uh, I, I think, for example, I have a, a good friend named Clint. I don't know if you follow or know Clint on Instagram, Clint McDonald, but He's been photographing for maybe a year and a half and his creativity and thought process just blows me away. I'm constantly messaging that guy. Hey, what do you think of this shot? 
what are your thoughts on this? Hey, what's your comments? What would you do here? And when I'm in the field with him, like I watch his process and where he goes and, and how he approaches the critters. And it's just, you know, that guy has only been shooting, you know, a fifth of the time that I have or whatever, but holy cow, there's so much to learn. There's just so much to learn from everybody. So if we can set our ego aside a little bit, I think we'll be able to learn and progress way faster than you would just on your own. So that's probably one of the better pro tips that we've had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> even, even, you know, as a pro or as a seasoned, I shouldn't say a pro as a seasoned photographer, you know, there's still some kid somewhere that comes up with a shot that's going to blow you away and maybe they got it by accident, but maybe it's just because they see the world a little bit differently than you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it yep. allows it, you know, all those things allow us to, to stretch our creativity. Yes. And so I, I greatly appreciate those comments. And I think that, you know, the, the competition in wildlife photography basically is it's almost dead because it's, the market is just so flooded with images, so flooded with great images. So there's so many people out doing great work where, you know, 20 years ago, that just wasn't the case. So I think, you know, now the way to move forward in wildlife photography is just helping others grow. And that's just my personal opinion. But I, I think that that is the opportunity that's provided to us now is just to help others get where we are and get through where we've been. Absolutely. And to get where they are too, because they, right. they've got experiences. That, exactly. That yep. It's fun. It's honestly, I love, I love the social aspect of photography. I love that. I love trying to avoid the competition or the drama and, I've been able to make some of my dearest and closest friends ever, like Dan Lindhart, who I know is friends mm-hmm. with Jason. He's yeah, I know Dan. He's a, he, oh, you do too. That's mm-hmm. right. He's a dear friend for photography and just for life. You know, like we'll chat and we'll go shoot together. And it's just that has enriched my entire life, my ter- entire experience. So I think if we can set aside our egos and our competition, we'll be able to have a better overall experience in every way. For sure. In fact, I think we were talking a little bit before the show, we'd actually met last spring in a snowstorm. Uh-huh. And I, th- <laughs> I think you were with Dan that I day, correct? Up. Yeah. And that's it, true. It's always fun to run to get run into Dan in the field because you'll meet or you'll see Dan visit a little bit. And then all of a sudden here, his daughter comes and she's got her camera and she's getting out in the field too. You know, it's, <laughs> it's just true. awesome. Daughter's 11, right? She's only 11 and she's already cranking out images. So oh, yeah. super fun. <laughs> yeah. I think that's some of the best advice you can, you, any of us could take right there. Uh, well said. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Well said. So what are future plans? Future plans. I mean, it's difficult with COVID, but my plans usually have to do with, travel and trying to get to see more species i'm tentatively i'm i hesitate to completely commit myself because of the travel restrictions but i really want to try to see all the species of north american owls in one year so Mm -hmm. i've got a good jump on it already this year and i'm wondering if i could possibly 
make it happen this year. There are a couple of species that I've never seen, so I know they'd be hard to get, like that for real owl that I know you guys have up in Wyoming that I can't seem to find. <laughs> yeah, well, but, I can uh, put you in the right spots. Whether you see them or not, I don't do. know. <laughs> <laughs> please do. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would like to possibly do that, which that would require me to go a couple different places. I'd have to head out to the East Coast and, and possibly north. If I could find a hawk owl, that one would be hard too. But yeah, so that that I would like to do that. as And also, I intended... My plan in 2020, I had the campground all booked and everything to go up to Katmai. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, that all got canceled. So I'd really like to make that happen as as soon as I possibly can. Try and get some new, some, some new creatures, some new shots, some new experiences. I would love to do that. So, Lydia, let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. you're, you're sitting there on a road and you got a meadow on both sides. Uh-huh. And on one side of the meadow you've got grizzly bears with cubs. Boy. <laughs> on the other side of the meadow you have a boreal owl. <laughs> oh. oh. That's too easy. A <laughs> great gray. That's a great gray. You have a great gray. That's really hard. That would be tough. <laughs> that would be that's my nightmare, Jason. That's my nightmare. <laughs> and also that's heaven. <laughs> but uh I, I Great. I would shoot the bear, but only because I've had such a good winter with the great grace. If you had asked me that question before this winter, I would have said I'd be shooting the great gray. So depends on the species you ask me. If you say boreal, it's not even a question. I'm after that boreal for sure. But I love yeah, it. that would be hard. <laughs> I don't, I don't think it would be that hard for me. And yeah, I'd be shooting the owl. Be, you would? Be uh, I would. I can't. Is it a, a boreal or a gray? Either one. I just don't have a lot of owls, and I do have quite a bit of bears, but I don't have a ton of bears. But I don't know why. I just have been on a kick lately, and it's probably some of Lydia rubbing off on me and what I see in her page and the 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 few times I've had the opportunity to go out and you know participate in some of the excursions that um, they've invited me on and just it's it really is a very addicting and it's fun and when you start to learn more about a species it's it really does kind of pull you in and drag you in so it does. Um, that's the beautiful thing about wildlife photography too is if you if you keep your mind open the sky's the limit i mean you yeah. can there's so many species to photograph right no and into the challenge Absolutely. Yeah. and i, I think, and i think you guys mentioned sorry you guys mentioned Again, and we mentioned before the podcast, I'm getting sick and tired of hearing about this snowy morning because that's when we were all there together and I left to go chase lizards, of all things. Uh-huh. Yeah, and nothing <laughs> happened though, Jason. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was a terrible day, terrible day. We didn't but, see know, any mating fun. activity yeah. <laughs> at all. In the snow. <laughs> but you had so much fun with the lizards. Well, you know, it's funny. And so, yes, I did. I don't regret it at all. It was it was worth the trip. I had a great time. And I'm going back to chase right. lizards around. So, and that's what you're saying. Like, the variety is a blast. Like, that's the fun thing. Like, we get this FOMO, you know. Oh, no, I'm going to miss the grizzlies in the snow if I go chase the lizards. But, but that's still so fun because there's always something more to chase, mm -hmm. something more to do. And that's, I think, a huge draw to me as far as birds I love the big mammals. I love the big wildlife as well. But 
birds really captivate me because of the variety. You know, birds are so different. Every bird is different from every other bird and and they have different plumage depending on the season and you know like and and you know, there're way more species of birds in this world than I'll ever see. Whereas if mm-hmm. I photograph an elk, it's always going to look like an elk. You know, <laughs> like I maybe that's blasphemous to say on this podcast, but <laughs> You know, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's blasphemous, but <laughs> it's dangerous to say. Maybe yeah. you'll delete my podcast after this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I fully agree with you. Bird bird variety. I mean, even as long as I grew up on a ranch, I've been out, and and my grandmother on the other side of my family, my my mom's mom, always made sure we paid attention to everything, every bird, every snake, every snail she just wanted us to be curious about that natural world and so i've been observing birds for a long time now i haven't been paying attention to the species that kind of thing but i still every year on the on the prairie will find a a species that i haven't seen before sure and you have to look a little harder to be able to identify them for sure but you're absolutely correct in that you know, I heard a discussion the other day, and sorry, I'm taking a segue from my comment, but I heard a discussion the other day on uh, another podcast, and they were talking about the difference between a birder and a bird photographer. Uh, and I what think, did they say? <laughs> well, I think I think they had you know a little bit different philosophies. I think you know the bird photographer is focused on getting the image, and a birder is out you know, see a species, maybe observe it for a little bit, but then move on to the next one. Sure. And that, you know, that's kind of what, how they distinguish between the two. But I think you start with curiosity, right? And then the challenge takes hold and how can I get better images of that species? Or how can I get a single image of that species if, you know, if they're a tough one? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Like snipe. Sniper, yeah. not easy to photograph. That's definitely true. <laughs> I was going to say, I completely agree with you there. It's, um, I think that's part of the joy of photography for me as well, because I love, I'm a birder in my heart. I love seeing all the different species. Um, however, a lot of birders do get focused on their list, you know, and mm-hmm. counting up species. And, and that's great. That's fun. That's awesome. It's like real life Pokemon, right? It's awesome. But as a photographer, in order to get the image I want, I'm forced to spend a lot more time with that bird. Um, And so because of that, I have learned about the species more than I would have simply from observing. uh, Maybe, maybe, and that's not true for everybody else. I'm sure that there are plenty of birders who just will sit for hours in the field with the bird. But for me, I'm going to spend hours and hours and hours just to get the image I want. And so I'm mm. watching and learning and observing the whole time. So it's the two, the birding and the photography really um, complement each other in, in my experience. It's no different with large mammals. I mean, with the birds you talked about here and all of a sudden the increase in volume, the increase in intensity and, and activity and knowing what that meant. Yeah. But it's no different watching a deer feed in a field. And all yeah. of a sudden, she starts taking glances out the corner of her eye. 
And then pretty soon she picks her head up completely and looks in a direction. And a lot of people will just continue right on by that. But you know, if she continues to do that and continues to do it more often, that means something else is coming. And it, it could be another deer, could be a predator, could be an elk. But you know you want to pay attention to what she's looking at because yeah. her safety depends on it. And therefore, it, it may present you with another opportunity. And same thing with the birds. You just being out there and observing that behavior, I think is the is the best part for me of wildlife photography. I always yeah. I always tell people I want to know what happens when we're not there. And so <laughs> you get to the point where you can be there, be in their presence, but they're totally relaxed. They're acting naturally. And then you get to see those, you know, those crazy yes. behaviors that nobody else observes. Yes, I agree there. Those experiences where the critter knows you're there, but they're not bothered by you. Those by far, if you ask what's your favorite outdoor experience, those are always the ones mm -hmm. where you get to be part of that critter's world. It's just so amazing. Yep. Everything you said is just, you know, it's 100% true. And you, you kind of going back to the question that we asked about, people ask you all the time, how do you find so many owls? And you said, you know, you're out there a lot. But it's not just that you're out there a lot, right? It, you're out there a lot and you're paying attention. And you're looking and you're learning behavior and you're learning cues and you're learning these. And it's like a big puzzle that you put together over time. <laughs> You know, and you build this you build this database in your head is the way I like to say it. And and all of a sudden you'll see a behavior and it'll recall and you'll go, Oh wait, this I'm betting he's gonna this bird's gonna do this next. And now yeah. you're ready for a shot where the last time you missed it because you didn't see it coming. And you know, I I've had experiences like that last year. It's the first time I've spent any amount of time with snowy egrets. And I mm. used to just not really you know, it's a snowy egret. Yeah, they're pretty and it's cool, but you know, most of the time I can't get one that'll let me even get close to it, so I don't even mess with it. Last year, I spent some time with them, and they were really incredible. And the things that they do and the behaviors and the posturing and stuff that they do was just – it was it was blowing my mind. And I missed so many shots because I haven't learned those cues and, you know, to pay attention to those things. So, you know, just another example of, of all things, I'm looking forward to trying to get out and find some snow egrets this year and, you know, try to capture some of those images that I missed last year. But, but I think that's part of it is my point. And you hit it nail on the head where you just start to build that – that database in your head about these behaviors and these in the the actions and the all the things that they do that helps you not only find them but then get the shot to put yourself in the right position to to be ready when those cues are there to take the image that you're looking for absolutely and that goes to the constant challenge of photography which is just so fun i love that photography pushes me in every way you know I mean, I, <laughs> I sit at work every day and I teach my students and it's great, but then I get out in the field and I really feel challenged <laughs> and that's, that's so fun. I love that aspect of um, competing with myself. I try not to compete with other photographers. I like to compete with myself and get a better image than I did the last time and do yeah. something better or it's super fun that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I will also add this is that every time I've ever thought that I've kind of had something figured out. I don't. So I have I have so much to learn. So. There's a gentle reminder. In, yeah. Yeah. So Lydia, we haven't really touched on it. Uh, I mean, we've talked about your, your journey a little bit. And we haven't really gotten all the way into that. But as far as gear, what do you shoot? 
I'm shooting a Sony A9 with the two to six lens, the 200 to 600 millimeter, and mm -hmm. I am loving it. I shot for years and years. I shot with Nikon, so most of the images on my page are with Nikon. I shot with a D500 and a two to 200 to 500 millimeter lens, which is a great setup. I I still love that setup, um, and I also have an Olympus setup that I use at times, but I mainly shoot with my Sony just. I feel like I'm cheating ever since I got that camera. <laughs> just the not the, the first person that said that. Person. Yeah, it's 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 just amazing. I mean, for someone who shoots birds that are small and fast moving, just the speed of the autofocus tracking and the frames per second. It's it's game changing. It's <laughs> so much fun. I wish I could afford that A1, but I don't think on my teacher's salary that'll ever happen. So. <laughs> Oh, well, so if you start rich. advertising on your hub. Well, this is actually, I know, <laughs> I need to sell out. <laughs> I actually meant to ask you guys, because I've never successfully made money off my photography. If you had to give advice to me or to others who wanted to try and make a little money off their photography, what would be some key things that you would say? I'd say, first of all, don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, yeah. I know that I know that you've done that. <laughs> I would say don't go into it with the expectation of it ever paying for itself. Uh, right. Because that may not happen. I mean, it may. But I think that, you know, I think that right now with the availability of great equipment, the availability of opportunity to folks, Right now, the market is is completely flooded. You're going to sell a print here or there, uh, but to make a living in any one single aspect of photography, I think, is a thing of the past. You're not just going to be that photographer that just has these great images hanging in galleries. You're not going to be the photographer that just sells to magazines or that only does calendars. You've got to have your finger in basically every little stream income stream that you can imagine and then you know the other thing i see is is impatience so you know most of these periodicals that still do use people's work they want to see not they don't want to see a, a portfolio that has a hundred really good images they want to see a portfolio that's got a hundred thousand and you've got every behavior, you've got every season with a particular species. And that's that's what they're looking for. So longevity is part of it. If you're not able to get out all the time, you're going to have to be, you know, just like you talked about a little bit ago. You're at the same place going out every day that somebody else that, you know, has been doing it for three times longer, but only gets out a couple days a week. You know, you can be at the same place because you're spending the same amount of time. And I think that goes for a particular species as well. If you only photograph them in the spring, like sage grouse, you're basically one dimensional with sage grouse and you can offer the same thing everybody else can offer and nothing else. But if you get the chicks being born, if you get predation activity, if you get them in the snow, hunkered down in a storm in the wintertime, those are all the things that, you know, that people want to tell a complete story. 
And I think that's the most important thing is learn to be a storyteller and, and to tell a complete story, not just a day in the life. I if, love that. If that makes sense. When you said that, uh, you said that you need to be sure that you have like your fingers in every single avenue of, of potential financial gain, mm-hmm. what would some of those be? Well, I, you know, I think people jump into workshops too quickly. And okay. then their workshop life is short-lived because they don't really have the knowledge base to be able to teach everybody. They can teach some people, but they can't necessarily teach everybody. There'll, there'll be people out there taking your workshop that have been doing it longer. And so I think be cautious to do that, but I think it's a good avenue. Or tours, you know, so you're, with your specialty – there are a lot of people out there that are, are drawn to owls for whatever reason, whether it's they're the crystal loving hippie. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that's going to come up so often now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, they love Harry Potter, multiple Boy, species in Harry Potter. Species. Yeah. <laughs> You've opened a can, <laughs> you know, or they're just somebody who, likes the uniqueness of of owls and i you know for me that's the draw they're just such unique animals and every other bird you can hear if you hear a golden eagle fly in over the top of you coming back to a nest or coming back to a kill it sounds like a freight train yeah and owls will pass by you you'll see the shadow on the ground and they're gone and you didn't hear a thing so super unique the way that they you know the way that they've developed and and people are drawn to that so that you know that's a potential stream just do tours where you're not necessarily teaching but you're showing people how to find i think you know you're only limited by your own creativity as far as those little pools speaking engagements um mm. writing stories you know i don't what do you what do you teach you said you're a teacher i i teach english yeah do you yeah, so writing is and and then you can combine your images with your words in telling those stories and I think that that provides a lot better opportunity. You know, I huh. I think there's no limit to it. It's just finding the right avenues that that suit you as an individual and suit your style and that's what we can all take from it. You know, and it might be local and then the next person might be international. Sure. You know, I got one thing that I went through the process on, and then of course COVID shut everything down, and it's even shut down for this year. Is uh, speaking on cruise ships. So it's not it's not to start with a paid gig, but you get a free trip basically. Um, but you go, you teach a class like three times during a seven day cruise or a five day cruise, and then you're you're kind of you're on the ship to help others at that point. So that's another opportunity. And you can, you know, if, if it starts to be something that works for you, you can speak on more intimate ships. So basically you don't want the bigger ones necessarily. The smaller the boat, the more intimate the experience and the better those opportunities pay. But it, it takes you growing from, you know, 
one to the other. You've got to you've got to prove yourself basically in your presentation skills, that kind of thing. So that's even another avenue that I didn't have any idea was out there. But there are a lot of opportunities there if you just make the right contact. And the podcast is what gave me that opportunity. Somebody had heard the podcast and and asked if I would ever be interested in that. So I went through a whole interview process and then got accepted and then they shut it down. So there's that. <laughs> well, that's fascinating. I so there, you, you know, ideas. there, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities out there. It, it's just recognizing them. And the other, you know, it's just like you taking on that hub after huh. just being in photography for a couple of years. That probably seemed pretty daunting, right? Yeah. I can imagine. That's I That's biting off a pretty big piece. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you just sometimes have to jump and sure. and make it happen. Here I am saying that and I'm still in a job that, you know, is not my reason for being on this earth, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling too. <laughs> well that's that's really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Jason, if you had to give any advice as far as making money with photography. What would you say? Yeah, I would say a lot of the same things Ron said. Um, the only other thing I'd add, and this is just because of my experience with the podcast that I've learned, is don't be afraid to, you know, do the video stuff as well. Mm. Um, there's there's definitely money to be made in the video side, and what and this is just from my perspective. But one thing I've seen that's become kind of a theme with some of the folks that we've interviewed that have quote unquote made it and are now getting paid video gigs with contract work with BBC and some of these big companies, right? Um, sure. Is they, they had a, they had a story they wanted to tell and then they went out as a, as a passion project and they went about doing everything they had to do to capture that and tell that story through video, through photos, through the written word, whatever it might be. And, and then through that work, they were, they were recognized and, you know, because of what they were able to produce and then we're given um, additional opportunities. So, you know, we've, we've interviewed quite a few recently that have gone that route and are now getting, you know, paid gigs to contract and do video, videography and photography work for, you know, big companies. So, yeah, that's well, a huge that's, one. You know, if you want to do it full time, that's a, that's something to consider. Um, you know, there is people that still make a living doing this, but the, to Ron's point, they don't do it. You know, with just they're not just a wildlife photographer. They are also and they're not just selling images to a calendar or to a magazine. They're they're contacting all kinds of folks to, you know, use their images and they're doing calendars and they're doing workshops and they're you know, and the list goes on and on and on. So that's a that's a common theme we've seen with a lot of folks is they don't they're not just um specialized in one thing. They are very, very broad and a lot of them are very entrepreneurial and business minded where they're trying to always keep something new going. So that's, those are kind of the things that I would maybe add to what Ron said. That's awesome. Thank yeah, you that's guys. A, that's... that's a big piece actually. Can't believe I overlooked that one, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, I like no, that because I know you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. It was a good addition. Yeah. And the birds, you know, most people are, are filming mammals. Because birds are so hard. Yeah. So, you know, if you can find yourself a little niche there, that 
that may be a pretty pretty solid piece of the puzzle. Because when you can find a project that your video fits with, it's fairly lucrative. You know, okay. once you start getting quality video and that A9 is is capable of producing exactly what they need. I mean, solid 4K with that good, yeah. you know, the good autofocus system that is in that camera. You're I already agree. set. Good tripod, good fluid head, and you're off and running. I want, I want to know how the heck this turned around and turned into her interviewing us. <laughs> that was pretty <laughs> slick. No, I'm teasing you. That's a great, those are great questions. I'm just kidding. But so, so, so you mentioned your gear, um, tripod or no tripod? Typically no tripod. I'm uh, pretty much handheld just because birds are so fast paced, but I do try and use a tripod if I'm doing video for sure. But yeah, pretty much handheld. That's pretty common now with the, the improvements in technology and the ISO performance of these cameras. Now you can get solid shots and even at, you know, 3,200 ISO, you're getting usable, usable well, stabilization. Data. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Stabilization yeah. in lens and in body and you combine them and it's just, yeah, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I tell you, that's the, the one thing that I love most about my Olympus camera setup. Their stabilization is worlds better than any other that i've ever used it honestly you can you can handhold video and not even think twice is that because of the smaller sensor or do you know if that has anything to do with it no it's their stabilization system they they're they have what jason just said they've got the in body and the in lens and they just work together they've got some pretty neat resources on it uh on their website about it but it works. Whatever they're doing, it just it balances itself out and you just get smooth video just holding it with your hand. So hmm. it's uh, really nice. Yeah, that's crazy. Usually you can't, you know, just, you know, yeah. Usually I, I, if I do video handheld, it's just to try to capture whatever's going on, right? Just documentation. Uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. plan on ever using that for much, right? But <laughs> Sure. <laughs> So what's what's next for you this year? I mean, what's your next adventure? Do you have something in the works? Well, I know I'm going to go to Teton a couple times <laughs> for bear season, you know. Going to go hang out in the snow with them again. And I do have a buddy who's in Florida right now who's finding some amazing owls. So I'd, I'd like to go down there and hang out with him a little bit if I can. Well, That's, you've been to some exotic – I'm sorry, Ron, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the, the barred owls down there. Yes. Seem to be pretty easily found or yep. readily, readily yeah. found. I shouldn't say easy. Yeah. And the, and the burrowing owls too. Oh yeah. I was just going to say, I know Lydia has been to some pretty exotic places too, to chase birds and stuff. And um, <laughs> where, where did you go? Was it last year or the year before? Well, that's a good question. So it's so we're different each time. Yeah. Oh, well, tell <laughs> us about both of them real quick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. I, I travel quite as much as I can. I, I do go quite a bit um, because, and, and it's photography driven. It's driven by the birds. I, for example, I saw a picture on Instagram of a Cuban toady. It's this little tiny green songbird with like these bright red and pink flashes on the sides. I thought, holy cow, that can't be real. And I discovered it was a real bird. And so I booked a flight to Cuba. <laughs> no kidding. Um, no kidding. So I, I've done 
you know, that's another thing photography has done for me. It's expanded my horizons as far as travel. So I've been to Cuba and then I've been to Africa and I've, um, last year I went to Costa Rica. I was actually in Costa Rica when the shutdown happened and I had to cut my trip short and try and squirm through the airport and get on a flight before mm-hmm. I was stuck there forever. So Costa yeah. Rica is a big draw for me. I, w- I want to go down there pretty bad, but probably not for the same reasons. I mean, the birds are intriguing because there's so many tropical species there. And honestly, even just, just if you went for hummingbirds, there's so many opportunities uh-huh. to get different species there. But I, uh, the eyelash viper. Yeah. I'm no, I totally. Yeah. I, I'm freaking addicted to just the thought of the opportunity to photograph that. And they're not very big, but man, they're a beautiful snake. They're, they're absolutely gorgeous. I, I agree with you. It's such a fun place to go for birds and for all the reptiles for sure. Mm-hmm. So amazing. And of course, sloth. But sloths and monkeys and yeah. such a fun place. I, yeah, I've been to Costa Rica twice. I definitely know I'll be going back. It's hmm. amazing there. Well, there you go. That's your first trip you can put together, and I will be the first one to sign up. <laughs> I'll hold you to that. Watch I'm out. <laughs> all about Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'll put something together for us really cheap. All right. <laughs> for you guys. <laughs> So what, what about your pro tips? I mean, you gave us probably the best one we've ever had on the show. Sure. Talking about your growth. But what would you suggest to people that, you know, maybe even just people that would like to be a part of your page at some point? Okay. What's what's the best way for them to take images that are, are noticed? Um. Well, specifically for the hub, there's a certain time of type of image that, that is a crowd pleaser, you know? So for the hub, um, I'm going to be picking photos that are uh, cropped in a little closer rather than more of an atmospheric or environmental shot. And they're going to have bright colors. People love bright colors. I look for those things for the hub in particular, good action. That's just in general, you want good action in the shot, but those things are essential as far as the hub goes. Um, as far as just pro tips for people just wanting to improve, I, I think I've covered most of them, but it would, it would have to do with networking, network with other people, learn from other people, get a good mentor and just get out in the field and work, 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 tons of work and work on your post-processing. I, Mm -hmm. sometimes I hear photographers who say, oh, I just want to take the picture. I, I hate editing. I hate editing. And okay, I I can, I can feel you. But at the same time, that's half the battle. Like, I'm not saying you need to go in there and Photoshop every image and change it completely. But post processing, not altering, but post processing your images, there is a massive amount of artistry that happens there. And so I think someone that I could be in the field standing next to someone with the exact same gear, same settings, we could take the same image and then I could take it home and post-process it and create something that's totally different than what the person next to me gets. I think that a lot of your own personal expression comes out through your, your post-processing. Um, mm-hmm. Whether you choose to, to edit it dark and moody or you want it to be bright and colorful or like you get to let your personality go. I, 
I think that's an overlooked part, especially for a lot of beginner photographers. They don't, they don't realize they take a picture and they go home and look at it on their computer and they say, ah, why doesn't mine look like Jason Loftus's awesome shot? And then they say, oh, it's because he's got better gear than I do. And they go out and they buy a bigger, better camera. And then they go take the picture and they're still frustrated. Why doesn't it look like Jason's shot? Well, it's because Jason went home and he worked with it. He took his his art to the next level by, by you know, creating something out of it. I think that post-processing aspect is so essential to really taking your photos to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it gets overlooked, I think, by beginners quite a bit. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's a really good one. I would just, um, I get a que- I get that question all the time. It's like, what editing software would you use? And, you know, do you think I should do that or do this? And it's like, well, if it's a choice between buying a tripod, for example, or whatever, some other piece of gear, or buying the year's worth of Photoshop and Lightroom, I ought to tell you every time, get Photoshop and Lightroom because that's, you're right. It's, and I would, I would argue that it's more than 50% of the battle. I yeah. think a lot of people's images, they would, people would be surprised if they saw the before and after on a lot of people's photos. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And I've and seen you've been doing that lately, um, putting the before and after. Yeah. yeah. On my Instagram story, I'll post a before and an after because I think it's inspirational. I love seeing other people's before and afters because it makes me think, wow, look what they did. And then I want to analyze it and try, see if I can replicate it or boy, do I hate what they did. Now I know what to avoid, you know? So. Right. So, and, so, um, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say it does just what you just said. It points out that, you know, that image didn't come necessarily out of the camera because every raw image needs processing. The only one that I would say that's not the case about is Michael. Stinking guy can run a camera. Holy smokes. Well, he jokes about all He's not joking about it. Actually, he says it all the time. He's like, if it takes me more than two minutes, I'm not even going to touch it. (laughs) So when you look at his page and you see his images, just know that he may have tweaked the clarity and the color a little bit or something. He might have moved the dehaze slider and then he was was done. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's great. And that's fantastic. I Every image isn't going to be that way, though. I don't want to throw away everything because it isn't exactly the way I want it. Because for me, I want the documentation of that cool experience I had. Mm, I'm going to try and make that photo the best that I can. I just went through, and I'm back to through all my 2018 trips. Just went through and reprocessed everything because I got a new computer and I realized how bad my old monitor was based on my finished product. Sure. And, you know, it wasn't color calibrated. And so now going back and going through everything, and I have a whole different portfolio now. Yeah, yeah. as well as your style will alter right. as you yep. get better at photography, as well as um, your ability to edit mm-hmm. will just increase the more you work with it. So I, I love that. Re-editing old shots. That's great. Yeah. So I, I just have this this is this is a question I was gonna ask you because I've seen over the last even two years, Lydia, I've seen a really marked improvement. And I don't mean this your image has always been awesome to me, but I've just seen a whole nother level recently. And Thank you. you've I've you've definitely learned some new tools, some new techniques and stuff. Have you just been learning 
through the School of Hard Knocks and YouTubing, or have you had somebody helping you? Have you been looking at tutorials? I mean, maybe just help us understand, you know, I know a lot of it has to come with just trial and error. I get that. That's how a lot of the stuff I learned came. But I'm, I'm just curious if you're seeing any other resources. Mainly is School of Hard Knocks. I'm mainly just trial and error, working on it, editing things, taking pictures, just, uh, and with the, the other people, as I mentioned, the other people that I shoot with, um, watching what they do, a lot of observation to try and get some inspiration in order to improve myself. And uh, the other thing is a whole lot of looking at other people's images. I, I love scrolling through Instagram and looking at other people's portfolios. I love seeing other things that other people are doing and learning other things people are doing. I, I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube or other things like that. I, I probably could benefit from it. I probably should, but I just love looking at other things people do and then trying to edit. I mean, there have been times where, for example, if we were shooting that bear up in Teton in the snow that we were talking about, there were a lot of people there that day and I've seen other people's shots of the same moment that I shot and I've gone, oh, boy, do I like what he did with that. And then I will literally hold my phone with that person's picture open and my Lightroom in front of me and like see what he did to try and replicate it and just get some new ideas. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, I do, I do network with other people. There have been a couple times where I've sat down with, with Dan and we've swapped tricks. What did you learn? How'd you do this or that? But um, as far as editing goes, but yeah, it is a lot of trial and error, the school of hard knocks. That's yeah. nice of you to say that my images are improving. Thank you. <laughs> well, if, hopefully all of our images are getting a little better, right? That, that's 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 the goal. So <laughs> agreed. Agreed. And and what what's surprising to me is I didn't and I mean this is that it's at a point where you think they really just couldn't get better, and you look at them and you think, wow, where did she figure that? There's a, there's a cool little <laughs> thing. Did she use some filter? Did she, you know, so be, believe me, you've gotten my attention for what it's worth. And I think it's pretty cool that you're, that you're doing this and trying new things. You know what I mean? So thank you. Thank yeah, you. for sure. I think that's the other thing that I would say is that, you know, I've even thought about doing the challenge. Somebody, I can't remember who it was, but it was a well-known photographer and they challenged themselves to push their shutter one time each day. And that was oh. it. So they had to be very selective about the shot. and But they came out of it with better shots than if, if they would have just gone in guns blazing and take a thousand shots every time they sit down. They wait for the opportunity that they want. And I think that, you know, that's one thing you can see in portfolios that, that catch your eye like that is you can tell when somebody's being very intentional about where they put themselves, when they, when they hit the shutter, um, you know, the light, how they wanted the light hitting their subject, all those kind of things. I think those things are very apparent and that's what sets you apart from mm. the person that's just out there getting images. And, and that's one of the ways I think that you can, when people see you produce that consistently, that's when you're going to start making a little bit of money here and there. Okay. So you're saying I need to start producing it consistently. No, I'm saying you, <laughs> you do that. <laughs> you, you can tell looking at your images or at least the ones you post, because I don't want, 
anybody to ever think that every image any of us take is is a good one. Take, sure. I take plenty that I delete off the hard drive. Um, but the ones that you post are, you know, consistently well thought out. Thank and you. some of that obviously is your post-processing, you know, as you said, but you, you're thinking while you're shooting as well. And that's important. Yeah. It, it's actually funny to us. see, to see her in the field. She is not joking. She gets in a zone. <laughs> like if there's something going on, you, you might as well just be talking to the wall because she's not listening and she's working, <laughs> which is good. I mean, that's a that's a positive thing for sure. It's just funny. I've seen that a few times. But <laughs> I do. I get my blinders on, my bird blinders or my bear blinders. <laughs> yeah. She'll literally be like, shh, can you hear that? Can you hear the bird one? No, I didn't hear it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, it's. I love that you mentioned that having a mentor was so critical for you in your development. And yeah. we, we've talked about that a lot on the show, too. But the, so on that note, where you're at in your photography um, journey, are you currently mentoring anybody? Yeah, like not like officially, but I, well, I would never think they're official, right? To me, I, but. Have, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast, but I do have a girlfriend who just started doing uh, wildlife photography more. She's been she's been interested in marine animals a lot and done some of that, but. She just got her first camera and I met her out in the field and we just clicked as friends. We have a lot in common and she's very new and I've just been like teaching her things and mentoring her. She hasn't, I don't know if she has any idea, but I just feel like she's awesome and she's got potential and I'm trying to show her as much as I can. And it's, it's been a blast for me. She, yeah. We found a, We found an owl nest just this afternoon together and she was just overjoyed. The first one she'd ever seen. So it's awesome. fun that way. I love that. That's cool. Well, I think a lot of times you could call it mentorship or friendship too, right? I mean, sure. we, we get to know other photographers and we work together and we all inspire each other. And like your point, I love it. You're so right. We all can learn from everybody. And just because somebody's only been shooting for a year and I've been shooting for five doesn't mean that I shouldn't be paying attention and learning from them as well. hundred percent. So well said. Um, and I think a lot of that mentorship, whatever you want to, you know, quote unquote, you could you could also just call friendship. And if you're, if you yes. got your, a good broad friendship base in your photography world, then, you know, you're all kind of mentoring each other, really. It's just bouncing ideas off each other, helping each other out, asking each other if you, is this image worth posting or should I do something different? What do I need to think about? You know, stuff yeah. like that. I love that aspect. That's what I was saying before. I love the social aspect of it. I know like when you go up to Teton or somewhere like that, there are a lot of people around. And I know that that bothers a lot of photographers. And yeah, it can be frustrating to fight a crowd. But at the same time, oh man, I love the energy. It's like running a race versus going for a jog by yourself, right? There's a lot of fun energy there. And some of these trips that I've gone on with some of my buddies up to the Teton where we all stand together and we laugh and we joke and we take photos and we share. And, you know, everybody hates this person because he got the shot and everybody else missed it. You know, <laughs> it's a blast. I love that. I love yeah. that feeling. And you're right. It's friendship. It's And we're all mentoring each other, but yeah. we're just, it's friendship. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing gift that photography gives, I think. Yeah. No, I love that you're, you're passing it on, so to speak. Right. I mean, I think we all should be, I had folks that continue to help me in my, my journey. I'm so young in my journey. I get it. I know I've got so much to learn and, but you know, the things I have learned that I think I might be able to help somebody else out. I'm more than happy to try to share those things. Right. So Agreed. I think it's important for all of us to to think that way. But. Agreed. 
What did you just say? Because I think you just dropped another nugget that we're going to end. We're going to end this on photography. Friendship is the gift that photography. <laughs> how did you say it again? Yeah. I said I. I think I said that friendship is one of the greatest gifts that photography gives us. Quote, and thank you for listening to Wild and Exposed. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait. We gotta. Where's all the places we can find you, Lydia? Go ahead and tell us about you know your. They just re- repeat the the uh, it, your Instagram pages and wherever else we might be able to find your work. Sure, Instagram is the main place. I did start a Flickr, but I haven't really posted a lot there. Um, my Instagram is it's Liddybug because my name's Lydia. I don't know. I I started the Instagram before before I did photography. Haven't changed the name, but it's L Y D E B U G. Um, that's my Instagram. My hub is Best Birds of IG and. Uh, I do have a website that I'm starting right now to, to, to try and sell some prints. Um, I haven't really got it all up and running yet, but I will uh, post that on my Instagram once it's all completely ready. So best place to find me would be Instagram for sure. Liddybug. Cool. Well, and I think Ron's right. We ought to end it on your, your quote, but I really do. We, I think we both are very appreciative of your time and your willingness to come on and share some of your experiences and your stories and, I think we've got some good nuggets out of this one for sure. I'm excited to mm-hmm. the from the streaking to the. I can't <laughs> wait to I can't wait to see the write up for this one. <laughs> Definitely had everybody's attention. I can tell you that right out of the gate. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me on. Thank you. Yeah, Jason. thank you. And thank you all for listening to Wild and Exposed. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.